The coastal village was a tapestry of traditions woven with time. Nestled between rugged cliffs and the tempestuous sea, its people had long depended on the vast ocean for sustenance. However, the sea's generosity wasn't taken for granted, it was a gift from the Mero, believed to be ancient keepers of maritime balance. At the heart of this balance was the ritual of offering. Each year, as the air grew ripe with the scent of salt and blooming coastal flowers, a unique event would unfold. On the night when the moon's glow dimmed, allowing the stars to dance unobstructed, the village would gather around the sacred altar, a natural formation of rocks jutting out towards the sea. This ritual, was not a mere spectacle but a lifeline. The selection process was an intricate dance between fate, and deliberation. Stones marked with the names of villagers were cast into a ceremonial urn. As the village elder chanted tales of the Merrow's might and grace, a blindfolded child would pick a stone, revealing the chosen one. For many years, it was the elders who volunteered, filling the urn predominantly with their own names. They argued that their tired hands and weakening eyes served little purpose and that they were ready to meet the Merrow, fulfilling the pact their ancestors had set. This selfless act had always been seen as an honorable departure, a final service to the community that had nourished them. But as time unfurled, whispers began to drift on the winds. Rumors spoke of the Merrow's evolving preferences. Fishermen would share hushed tales of seeing young Merrow near the shores, their scales vibrant, eyes curious. These tales painted images of a newer generation of Merrow, one that possibly yearned for the energy and essence of younger humans. The village had witnessed unparalleled abundance in recent years. Nets were fuller, and even the harshest storms seemed to divert their path away from the village. This prosperity further fueled the belief that the Merrow indeed desired the vitality of youth. As spring approached, a palpable tension blanketed the village. Families clung tighter to their young, and many sought protection from old talismans and whispered prayers. The fate of the village and its relationship with the Merrow rested upon the next ritual of offering. In the heart of the village stood the chief's dwelling, a structure both modest and commanding, reflecting the essence of the leader himself. The chief, with scars etched by battles with nature and time, had led the village through countless seasons of plenty and despair. His voice, rich and resonating, carried stories of ancestors, legends of the sea, and lessons of life. His decisions, though occasionally steeped in controversy, always bore the village's best interests. However, the ritual of offering was one burden too heavy even for his broad shoulders. It wasn't just about selecting a name from the urn, it was about bearing the weight of that choice, of determining the course of the village's destiny. The murmurs began innocuously. A fisherman's wife claimed she had dreamt of the chief's daughter, dancing with the marrow beneath the waves. An old crone, renowned for her divinations, mentioned seeing the reflection of the young girl in her potion bruise. Soon, these isolated whispers converged into a deafening consensus. The chief's daughter, Leora, was the epitome of youth and vitality. Her laughter, melodic and free, often echoed across the village as she played by the shoreline. 
With hair that flowed like liquid gold and eyes as deep and mysterious as the ocean, she was nature's artwork, a testament to the beauty of the world. To the villagers, she wasn't merely the chief's daughter but a symbol of hope, a promise of a brighter tomorrow. The day the chief emerged from his dwelling with a look of profound sorrow, the village already knew. Leora had been chosen. A thick fog of despair settled. Parents hugged their children a little tighter, old songs of sacrifice filled the air, and the waves seemed to crash with a mournful resonance. Leora, always the beacon of light, tried to hold on to her spirit, assuring her friends and playmates with a brave smile. No one dared confront the chief, but in their eyes, the questions raged, why her? Could the urn be wrong? Would the village's prosperity truly be linked to such a heartbreaking sacrifice? The chief remained silent, carrying the burden of his position and the haunting decision he had ratified, one that threatened to engulf the very core of the village's soul. The days leading up to the sacrifice were heavy with trepidation. The village, usually bustling with activity, seemed to move in a slow, deliberate haze. Fishermen cast their nets with solemn faces, while the women wove ceremonial wreaths from seashells and deep, blue ocean flowers. Children, sensing the profound gravity of the situation, played with a muted enthusiasm, their laughter subdued. The eve of the ritual saw Leora being anointed with fragrant oils that bore the essence of the ocean. The village seamstress had crafted a robe of the finest silken threads, capturing the colors of dawn, pale blues, soft golds, and deep purples. As Leora stepped out, cloaked in this ethereal garment, a gasp traveled through the gathered crowd. She looked less like one bound for sacrifice and more like a deity, chosen to bridge the realms of man and marrow. Atop the coastal cliff, an ancient stone platform stood, worn smooth by centuries of rituals. It was here that the Chosen Ones bid their final farewell to the land. Leora, guided by the village priestesses, made her ascent. Every step she took resonated with the weight of history and the heartbeat of countless souls who had walked this very path. The moon, in all its silvery glory, cast a luminescent path across the water, marking the way for the marrow. The sea below churned, waves building in intensity as if aware of the gravity of the impending event. An otherworldly hum, a deep, sonorous melody, began to emanate from the depths, heralding the arrival of the sea creatures. First came the luminous tendrils, softly glowing, followed by the marrow in their full splendor. Their shimmering scales reflected the moonlight, creating a kaleidoscope of colors on the water's surface. Their eyes, deep and ancient, locked onto Leora, an undeniable mix of curiosity and anticipation evident. The chief, standing a distance away until this point, slowly made his way to the platform. The village held its collective breath, waiting for the inevitable. Every eye was on the chief's hand as it rose to signal the final act. But in a moment that would forever be etched in the village's history, he turned away from his daughter and leapt with all his might, casting himself into the abyss below. Shockwaves of disbelief rippled through the onlookers. Mothers clutched their children, men fell to their knees, 
and prayers of both gratitude and confusion filled the air. The marrow, equally taken aback, swirled around the chief, their intentions now shrouded in mystery. The sea, the village, and time itself seemed to stand still, waiting for the story to unfold. The plunge beneath the surface was a disorienting mix of frigid shadows and bioluminescent beauty. As the chief was pulled deeper, the pressure of the ocean tightened around him, but surprisingly, he could breathe. An enchantment, no doubt, facilitated by the Mero who escorted him. The realm below was a marvel untouched by man. Schools of iridescent fish darted between glowing coral formations. Giant sea turtles swam gracefully alongside enigmatic creatures of the deep, their forms illuminated by the soft, radiant light emanating from the seabed. The Merrow's city was a sprawling expanse of grand palaces and structures sculpted from pearlescent shells, guarded by colossal statues of ancient Merrow warriors. As they swam, the chief noted that the Merrow went about their day much like the villagers above, trading goods in bustling market squares, tending to their young, and indulging in spirited songs and dances. Upon reaching the grandest palace, adorned with sapphires and deep-sea gems, the chief was ushered inside. The opulence of the chamber was breathtaking. At its center sat the Merrow Queen on her throne of intertwined corals. Her elegance was beyond compare, long flowing hair that mirrored the colors of the deepest seas, and eyes that held millennia of wisdom. The queen, with a voice, that resonated like a deep-sea melody, explained the truth of their history. Long ago, the village and Merrow had recognized the need for coexistence. Each spring, a representative from the village would descend, not as a sacrifice, but as an ambassador, to discuss the well-being of both realms, ensuring that the fish were plentiful but the sea remained respected and unpolluted. Over time, as elders passed and memories faded, the essence of this pact was lost. The ritual, meant to be one of partnership and respect, became one of fear and sacrifice. The queen expressed her sorrow for the needless losses and the distortions that led to such grim outcomes. The Merrow had tried to communicate, but their pleas were often drowned in the chaos of the ritual, their attempts to reach out mistaken for hunger or aggression. The chief, overwhelmed with a mix of relief and regret, realized the magnitude of the misinterpretation that had cost many their lives. The true purpose of this age-old practice was unity, understanding, and the mutual survival of both their worlds. The sun cast its first golden rays on the village as the chief emerged from the ocean's embrace, water cascading off him in rivulets. The villagers, who had maintained a night-long vigil, rushed forward, their expressions a mix of relief and awe. But the chief's demeanor had changed. Gone was the burdened leader, in his place, stood a man with a newfound purpose. Gathering the villagers at the sacred altar, the chief unveiled the truths of the Merrow's realm and the original intent of their ancestral pact. Tales of the mesmerizing underwater city, the benevolent Merrow Queen, and the misinterpreted rituals were shared. The revelation was met with a gamut of emotions, shock, relief, and sorrow for the lives needlessly lost. With the Merrow's guidance, the village began its journey of redemption. Nets were crafted to be more sustainable, ensuring only what was needed was taken. 
elders passed on tales, not of fearful sea creatures, but of their oceanic brethren with whom they shared the vast expanse of the world. Rituals were reformed, focusing on gratitude, and understanding rather than appeasement. Leora's innate connection to the sea made her the ideal link between the two worlds. Guided, by both her father and the Mero mentors, she learned the languages, customs, and secrets of the deep. In time, she became an emblem of hope and cooperation, diving into the ocean's depths, not as a sacrifice, but as a trusted emissary. Children of the village grew up hearing tales of the Mero's luminous city and the unity that now bound the two communities. Each spring, instead of a somber ritual filled with trepidation, the village celebrated a festival of the sea. Songs, dances, and feasts marked the occasion, and as the moonlight glistened on the water, it was joined by the soft glow of the Mero, who came forth to partake in the jubilation. The dark shadow of misinterpretation that had plagued the village for generations was finally lifted. The true price of the Mero, as it turned out, wasn't a life taken but a bond forged. This newfound alliance, built on trust and mutual respect, promised a future where both village and Mero thrived, guardians of the delicate balance between land and sea.